this time around on the podcast, we're discussing Under the Radar, films and performances that we feel deserve shout-out and recognition. In this season of nominations, it's important to recognize performances and films that maybe get overlooked, maybe have not received nominations but deserve them. So I'm Joan Amon, the Editor-in-Chief, and I welcome you as we kick off our discussion with a few of the team talking about what they loved most about this season and maybe some films you haven't seen yourself that need to be on your radar. So, give a listen. Hello, this is Brian Scuttle, and I wanted to talk about one film and one performance that I felt both were under the radar this year in terms of awards consideration. I really would have liked to have seen some consideration for both of them. The first one is Master of Light, a documentary from Rosa Ruth Boston about the classical painter George Anthony Morton. And he is somebody who studied painting while he was in jail for nearly a decade, and he uses his creativity to help to not only heal himself, but also his family, which has been broken up by uh, prison. And one of the things that I found so impactful of this when I saw it at the 2022 Atlanta Film Festival is that it takes ideas of generational trauma, it takes ideas of societies tending to put people in boxes based on their race and what they've done in their lives, as well as the idea of using creative outlets to heal pain. And all of those things are things that really connected me to Morton's story and the way Boston tells the story. And it's really beautiful. It's currently on HBO Max if you want to take a look at it. The performance that I wanted to center on, on was Sophia Kappel's performance in Ninja Thyberg's Pleasure, about a woman who goes to L.A. to be the biggest porn star in the world. The industry is not painted in glowing light, but one of the things that is interesting is that because it is so much in the experience of Kappel's character, it also captures the sensuality and desires that her character's looking to fulfill in that industry. And we're also, but we're also shown a protagonist who is very charismatic, but also is not afraid to use people to get what she wants. And there's a fearlessness in Kappel's performance that is necessary given the subject. And Thyberg's unflinching portrayal of that subject that really, it's a shame that it went unnoticed. I can, I understand completely why it went unnoticed, but it's a performance that really stayed with me throughout the year after I saw it in May. And I'm, it, it was one that when I did my voting for the uh, Georgia Film Critics Association was in my best actress category, which is saying something considering how uh, significant that 
category is as far as the uh, people include in it this year. Hello, this is uh, Callum Cooper contributing to this episode of the In Their Own League podcast, talking about overlooked films at this year's awards season. And I wanted to mention a couple of films. They've had some minor success in recognition at places like the Independent Spirit Awards and the British uh, Independent Awards. But I wanted to mention, first of all, the American independent film Palm Trees and Power Lines, directed by Jamie Dack and starring Lily McCurney. It's this coming-of-age drama in which the 17-year-old girl has an encounter with a man twice her age, and this develops into a very unhealthy, toxic relationship. But it's a very difficult film, as you can imagine, based on the premise alone. Like, it's very out there, and honestly, and understandably, probably not for everybody, given the subject matter. But I really appreciated the empathy that this film displays, the way it highlights how lonely Lily McCurney's character, Leia, is. She is someone who is very disconnected from the rest of the world. She feels very alone. She feels like she's basically overlooked by everyone around her, including her own mother. So when she meets this 30-plus-year-old man, she knows deep down this is wrong and that she's in a very unhealthy dynamic with this man. But because he's giving her attention that she craves, that she gets really sucked into it, even if a part of her knows it's wrong... And as a result, it's a very, very difficult film to watch. It's very hard-hitting, it's very uncomfortable. But the way it's filmed, the way it's written, the way it's directed, it's all imbued with such empathy and understanding of the subject matter, with such sensitivity that I couldn't look away from it. I was really... I was disturbed by it, but I was very compelled by it as well. And I think not only does Jamie Dack... Uh, write and direct the hell out of it. She does a great job. But Lily McKerney, I think, is someone to watch out for. I think she gives a terrific performance, and I really hope we see more of her in the future. I thought this film was very, very good. I caught it at this year's London Film Festival. I don't yet know if it's been released in UK cinemas, but I know it's had some decent exposure in American cinemas, so... If you've not seen this film, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's, it's an uncomfortable watch, but it's a very compelling and thought-provoking watch as well. And the other film I want to mention is Georgia Oakley's Blue Jean, which just released here in the UK. I don't know if it's out yet in American cinemas, but do have a wee look just in case. Now, I wrote about this film... Uh, for the site when I got a screener link for it. So if you've read my review, you already know what I think. I think it's an absolutely wonderful film that's rich with so many themes, has terrific performances, particularly from Rosie McEwen and Lucy Halliday. The premise is about this PE teacher in Newcastle in 1980s Britain, which is during the time that Margaret Thatcher was in power, she had just passed this law, or was about to pass this law, where the where, where LGBTQ plus history and rights were not taught in school. This effectively 
barred them from teaching people about the gay community, about the trans community, about the queer community, anything you could think of. They basically outlawed it. And as uh, uh, central character Jean is a lesbian herself, she is at odds with this. She, even though she's comfortable with her identity as a lesbian, she also wants to keep her job. And so when she meets one of her students, Lois, played by Lucy Halliday, who is also gay herself and is just starting to figure out her identity, this puts Jean in this weird kind of crossroads where she wants to be safe, but a part of her also wants to look out for this child who is in a very similar position to she is in many ways. I think this is such a beautifully written film. It's so powerfully directed. It's so empathetic. It's so biting in its commentary on just how wrong prejudice of this kind is. But if, you're, if you've been listening to the UK news in particular, I think this film has come, has come out at quite a timely moment. Maybe that's just a coincidence, just the way timing works out. But if you don't know, currently in the UK, Scotland just passed this bill, uh, the Gender Recognition Bill, which basically just makes it easier for people in the trans community to uh, reassign themselves to their preferred gender to, so they can live as comfortably as they want to. And this bill has basically been hijacked and barred by Westminster, the central power in England, and by extension, the whole of the UK. And so this idea that they're barring this bill to have to basically let transgender people live a bit more comfortably in life, they're using they're barring it for the sake of politics and to basically score a cheap shot on Scotland, it makes an interesting parallel to what this film is showcasing of, of a society that's rejecting a marginalised community and trying to basically deny them the right to exist for no other reason other than bigotry and prejudice. So I think the fact that Blue Jean has come out when it is now, particularly in the UK, is incredibly timely and I think adds Maybe an unintended, but certainly an extra level of power to the film. And that's not even talking into just how wonderfully filmed and written and directed and acted it is. It's just such a marvellous film. And when and if it comes out in American cinemas, I hope you check it out. And if you're listening to this in the UK, then I hope you seek it out because it's currently in cinemas now. facing 
what happened to her son. It's, uh, it's, it's an incredible performance for someone who really came out of nowhere this year. It's been a breakout performance for her. And uh, I feel that she has a great, great future. Uh, I just wish that it had started her with her recognition with the Oscars this year. I'm sure she will be someone to watch in the future, but uh, for this, this film, she really, really deserves to be appreciated and, and recognized. And I believe that everyone should see this film. I really do. I think it has a, a social impact, a racial inequality message that very much needs to be heard, heard. And I believe that it will stand the test of time. I think that five, ten years from now, we'll be looking at Till as a, as a hallmark of a, a history that maybe America does not want to face but needs to face. So please do see Danielle Tedweiler's Till uh, until she's absolutely tremendous. Hi all, podcast editor Stephen here. Now I was going to come on and have a big talk about the best international film category and how in particular the wonderful crazy romp RRR has been totally ignored both by its own country and by the Academy at large. And I was also going to have a talk how the category itself is a bit of a nonsense in this multinational world and the way that films can only have a single film representing them from any particular country. But what I thought you'd rather listen to is a nice chat between original founder Rosa, current editor Joan and Morgan about the Sundance Festival this year. Everybody, we're all here, and we yeah. Hi, hello. Thanks so much for organizing this, Joan. Yes, and thank you so much. Thank you for being with me. Uh, two of my favorite people in this and any other universe. If there's anyone I wanted to talk to today, it would be Morgan and Rosa. I love them both to death. So here we are, and we have Morgan who at- attended Sundance virtually, and Rosa was there in person, which must have been mind-blowing. So let's get right into that. What were your experiences, each of you? Well, so the virtual platform was really um, a continuation and commitment that Sundance has had to keeping the festival accessible. Um, So it was really great to be able to attend this festival from home. I will say that the screenings were delayed by two days. So the in-person premieres were kind of the priority. And then um, press and industry were able to see films two days afterwards. And then the general public had uh, another day or two after those screenings. Um, So it was really, um, I think even with some of the technology issues that I ran into, um, which are bound to happen, It was still just so wonderful to be able to attend a festival at home, um, cover it, especially because we know this festival is where last year's Best Picture winner um, premiered. And so it's it's really wonderful to have uh, the access to Sundance. And you, Rosa, how was your experience? Yes, so attending Sundance in person again after 
two years um, wow. since last time I was there was in 2020, right before everything went to, um, it went really bad with the pandemic. So I, so that was a, an experience that I had missed a lot because Sundance has this unique um environment and atmosphere where you can be walking to your next screening and you can just randomly be walking next to or pass by either not only some of your fellow film critics but also actors and directors and producers and people from the industry that you just do not anticipate <laughs> that happening <laughs> so in in that sense I, I think the in-person experience is so unique and so special it can be a for someone like me who tends to be slightly introverted isn't necessarily the most social person out there and isn't always going to all the parties or all the panels and can be a little bit overwhelming in that sense um and and to some extent perhaps and some may even think that it may be an experience that uh, I don't enjoy to the fullest um, because I am just there focused hyper focused and fixated on watching movies and watching what's coming out and sitting ne next to uh, other people and having that communal experience when it comes to watching movies so in, in that sense it was nice to get back to that to get back to to that experience and meeting in person uh, other film critics who I'm just so accustomed to interacting on social media um, or on my every other day here when I go to screenings in Los Angeles of course there's there's always these uh, my, my only issue to be quite frank is something none of us can control which is the weather I'm so spoiled um, in Southern California that it's always 70 degrees here Fahrenheit uh, 12 months a year and <laughs> every other day so for me to to have a complete change um, in that temperature it's always my body it takes a little time for it to acclimate but eventually I end up doing my thing and I try to get there and you know what overall I think this was easily a a, a best um a, a great way to get back into the in-person um, film festival experience and I, I am very curious to know um, if they're gonna decide to keep it like this and, and continue doing it hybrid or if they're eventually gonna be shifting to only in-person because going to the screenings and 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 such and the premieres and everything was it was fun um it was fun it was always it's always fun to just be there on the waiting line and then just randomly pop in uh just just bump into people that that you know but also i i think because for my past i had the opportunity to do um have access all access to the premieres to the um to the press and such but also i think it was by a day later, 24 hours later, I also had access to the online screenings um, and we had access to all the films. Well, again, I think it's depending on the past as well. And there was only one movie I did, we did, none of us had access to online. But other than that, 
Um, the online experience, I also had, uh, I had the opportunity to watch several movies online and, and that was great. I had no technological issues or anything like that. Maybe because I was in Salt Lake City. I don't know, um, how any of that necessarily uh, technologically works, but other than that, you know what? I, I had a good time. I had a good time. It was a easily a, a great experience to be back in prison, um, in person, uh, chilling and, but also, having those experiences of watching movies and such. Well, it was certainly a marathon, either virtually or actually. Uh, how did you keep yourself going? Coffee? <laughs> yes, <laughs> coffee. Uh, yeah, if there's a, a, a an, an intravenous format to get it in, <laughs> it'll be much better. <laughs> Uh, that's my, that's my facing every day, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no coffee. And for me, I wasn't, even though I was there in person, I wasn't, uh, I didn't feel guilty of taking like one or two days off. So there was one or two days where I just stayed in my hotel all day, um, just to rest up and everything again, because it's, it's a different environment, uh, the altitude, the temperature. So my body needs a little time to, to get accustomed to it. And again, you, you are watching a number of films a day. I think that the max I watched in one day must've been like six movies. So you need to let your brain, uh, sit down for a bit and relax because I, I I understand uh, the the temptation of trying to go in there and just go at it go at it go at it go at it and watch six films every single day um, but it might do a little disservice to the movies themselves to the filmmakers to watch a movie and not be in the right mindset to uh, critically um, analyze it and, and such so yeah I, I have no shame in admitting I took a day or two off stayed in the hotel all day um, and, 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 but I was watching movies as well, so. <laughs> yes, but it's important to sleep. So yes, that, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's good. To, yeah. And I hear you. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's true. I mean, I, I believe that it is a true thing that you, if you're watching maybe six, seven, even eight films a day, uh, you're doing somewhat of a disservice to yourself and perhaps the films that you're viewing, because after a while, there's only so much the brain can take in and process. And maybe that, that would hurt your overall judgment of films. So yeah, I, I totally hear you. Maybe scheduling some of these films, you know, schedulers, please take note for film festivals. There's only so much the human brain can comprehend in a single day. But let's get on to the films themselves. Uh, what, what were some faves we saw? Well, one of the first films that I saw that ended up becoming my favorite of the festival was um, Sometimes I Think About Dying, which was uh, directed by Rachel Lampert. It stars Daisy Ridley, and it basically was just created as a movie for Morgan. Um, it <laughs> just very much was the, um, you know, it's a slow, very intimate film. Um, kind of reminded me of some of my favorite, like Kelly Reichardt or Lynn Shelton films. And um, I was completely enraptured with that one. Uh, so I felt... Um, very lucky to be able to catch that um, as early as I did. Um, you, Rosa, yeah. what did you yes, if I can add a little bit and kind of piggyback on what uh, Morgan was saying right now, I also had a blast watching uh, that film. It was it was easily one of my surprises of, of the festival because, of course, the title is not appealing whatsoever. <laughs> um, but, 
but when when you go into it, it's such like a meditative movie, and you're you're just wondering, and and obviously you you speculate what you're trying to figure out or trying to come up with a, a a version of what you're getting yourself into. But once you sit there and you just see the film unfold, I'm, I I was delightfully surprised by it, and so uh, it, that movie was also uh, one of my favorites of of the festival, but. Uh, I think I'm gonna, <laughs> I've always had this uh, good uh, luck in terms of having a memorable experience when it comes to in-person screenings. And for this year's Sundance Film Festival, the movie that I started the festival with was Radical. <laughs> uh, Radical, uh, directed by Christopher Saya. It, it's a Mexican film uh, starring Eugenio Derbez, and it follows him as uh, Sergio Juarez, who is, is a newly hired professor in an elementary school that isn't doing too well um, academically. Uh, they're, they're testing, they're, their grades aren't necessarily up to standards. So we have um, Professor Juarez, the movie, by the way, which is based on in, in, in real events, and, and this professor actually exists. Um, so sitting in there and in, in that screening and having this movie be my first watch of the in-person festival was a memorable one. I was sitting there. I was a, a mess, a complete mess. And to have people, I had the same experience in 2020 with a documentary of Walter Mercado. Um, same thing, sitting in that theater, I was a complete mess after the film. And this movie, it, it, it's so um, optimistic and so uplifting and I remember tweeting about it and saying to me it was like a little matchup between Stand and Deliver and um, Tigers Are Not Afraid and it, it's easily one of my favorite movies of the festival and I'm sure the in-person experience and being in there with um, fellow critics and, and seeing their reactions to it because it, it's a very towards the end it's a moving um, film but it leaves you hopeful for for um, the future of these children, but also it, it leaves you contemplating about how just one person can make such a difference um, in, in your life just by believing in you, by having that little sense of hope. And, oh, my God, I, I'm just going to get emotional just <laughs> if I continue talking about it. But, you know, yes, uh, Radical, easily my favorite movie of the festival. Well, you make a good point there, Rosa, because, you know, being in, in a festival in person, uh, I'm not sure I'd be having to sit in the very back row so I can get emotional, too, and kind of hide. So I totally feel you. I'm not sure I can survive <laughs> an in-person festival and totally blow my, uh, you know, my cynical New York persona in just one film. I'd have to go into the restroom probably and hide for the rest of the film so no one would uh, detect me getting getting very emotional. Because I do. I do tend to get very emotional during <laughs> yeah, I was I was sitting right towards the front. I think it was, must have been like the first second row. Oh, and <laughs> yeah, so everybody saw me. But you know what? Zero shame. This is a great movie. It's very moving, and I'm just waiting one of these days. Um, I'm just gonna start flooding that movie theater just with my tears alone. <laughs> 
I see nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Morgan. We appreciate you. we appreciate the support for us as emotional film watchers who <laughs> can't control ourselves. It, yeah, I'm bad that way. I really am. It, it's it, it's not good. So, and I get worse as I get older. It's like, oh my goodness, what happened to me? <laughs> I thought I had this under control. Nope, not, not anymore. But yeah, uh, this sounds fantastic, and I'm kind of envious that you both got to see these. And, and now I'm writing, I'm actually literally making notes so I can like kind of check these out and not miss them when they do come around. So we raised important points, though. Morgan, you raised a very important point of how important uh, and vital that virtual screenings continue. Because let's face it, not everyone can or even wants to face the high altitudes <laughs> and cold, very, very cold, uh, of, of Sundance. And uh, that's, that's something that I guess uh, we could discuss, the importance of that continuing. And also, obviously, we do want Sundance to continue in person uh, for, very, for years to come. May it never die. So what do you think about uh, how festivals are thinking about this? Do you think that they will continue uh, virtual screening and in person? I, I know that last year Sundance made the proclamation when Tabitha Jackson was there, the proclamation that they were going to keep a virtual platform available. And it's not so much of the, I mean, there are so many reasons why people can't travel, whether, you know, it's the altitude sickness. I know that we like to think that COVID's gone, but it's really not. So if you're immunocompromised, traveling isn't an option. In-person screenings aren't an option. Um, you know, people, you know, physically disabled people traveling might be cumbersome. Uh, people who are critics for in lower socioeconomic, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to afford to travel to a place like Park City, Utah, because it's not, you know, unless you're in a major city, you're not going to have a direct flight, you know how expensive flights are. Um, if you have to fly Southwest, we know that that's a whole uh, to do there as well. So, you know, the, the accessibility portion really ensures that Sundance remains a diverse festival. And Rose, I don't know if you kind of felt this, but, you know, this year I noticed so many films by filmmakers who would be in underrepresented communities, you know, women, um, Latino, Latina um, filmmakers, LGBTQ plus filmmakers, indigenous filmmakers, um, black filmmakers, all the intersectionalities in between there as well. And I think that if you're hosting a place where people of all backgrounds get to share their art, then it's really imperative that we make it accessible so that the first people seeing those films look like and can connect to those communities as well. Um, so I, I just think I, in person is such a wonderful and beautiful thing and I'm happy it exists and I'm happy that people keep going. Um, but I think that an online platform really ensures that the diversity of that first audience is there. Um, so I, I think that that's kind of the twofold part of it. 
Yeah, I I completely agree uh, with Morgan because if I'm being completely honest, um, uh, this year I was uh, a recipient of the of the um, they have this program where they um, are trying to di- diversify film criticism. So I I was part um, I was selected to be a recipient. They they give you a stipend um, so you can attend in person. And to be quite honest, that's the only reason I was able to attend in person uh, because that's the only way I can afford it uh, because I was financially um, aided by 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 Sundance. So it's not. Cheap. Um, it's not cheap to go there and when you're doing this freelancing uh, you you have to pay for your own um, transportation you have to pay for your own hotel stay and you have to pay additionally when you're there you have to eat Uh, you have to uh, go places and yeah Sundance is very kind to have these shuttles that that are free and such so transportation it's a little more facilitated once you're in um, Park City or Salt Lake City but getting there is it's what gets a little um, it gets a bit more of a struggle. It can be a struggle, sorry. So that in that sense, I I, I appreciate everything Sundance is doing. Um, the programs they have accessible and available for uh, critics that are underrepresented, um, and which allow people like myself to to attend in person and have these experiences, but also bring my perspective. Um, in terms of female director films, female centric stories, Latino stories, um, and such. So I, I I believe that having it that this way, keeping it hybrid, allows yeah for more a diverse group of people to watch the content, talk about it, and you get coverage from all over the world. Um, if, if if you keep both of them. Uh, uh, available like like they did this year, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I and, and and another thing, a lot of people don't have the. I, I acknowledge my privilege. I was allowed um, and able to get the time off from work to uh, be able to attend. Not not everybody has the luxury to do that either. So in, in a way, I am privileged uh, to to have had the opportunity to go in there. So. I, I think having it both um, online, virtually, and doing it in person, it's gonna, if anything, benefit more um, the 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 Sundance experience. Although I, I did notice uh, when I was in there in 2020, and when I was there now, uh, significantly less amount of people attending in person. Um, which the 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 screenings weren't necessarily empty. Um, but there was definitely a much uh, less uh, number of people attending. The lines weren't as chaotic as they were back in 2020. And they, like in 2020, there was a few films um, screenings I was in. I just couldn't get into because they were they were all full. Uh, this year, I was able to get to the ones that I wanted um, to go get into. But yeah, I don't know how how Sundance is. If, if Sundance is gonna continue to uh, do these film festivals and their goal their primary goal is to uh, be a platform to filmmakers to up-and-coming filmmakers um, and also people who who are returning either with their sophomore film or or such and provide a platform for them to uh, screen their movies to a wide audience then I, I, I see I don't see an issue with them 
um, continuing to do this hybrid option. But if they're really, really um, interested and invested in financial uh, stability and the business side of things, I don't know if they're going to keep the online version, um, the online side of things available for long. Well, I think you both raise a very important point is that having under, underrepresented and women film entered into these contests is only half of the equation. The other half is having them seen by the same demographic audience, having them viewed by the same people who would make them, uh, be it women, be it Latinx, be it, you know, underrepresented of any kind. It's, it's, it's two parts of the same coin, right? I mean, we want them, we sure, we want underrepresented films entered into film festivals, we do, but we also want them shared and viewed by audiences who would see themselves on the screen. And I think that's such an important point to make. And I understand the concern of like, you know, the festival didn't have as high of an in-person attendance. And I just think that like, if we're using the first in-person attendance post us actually taking COVID seriously, because again, I just wanna highlight, like there's long-term effects happening um, here, like we're not necessarily out of the woods, even though things feel like we're trying to come out of the woods here. Um, you know, there are still people who have to be very mindful of their in-person activities. So I think if we're seeing this reflective, you know, five, 10 years from now, then maybe they need to do something about their in-person attendance. But again, considering that they're you know, this is was the first in-person festival that they've had since the outbreak of uh, COVID. That um, you know, there there are still major health concerns for people. Um, I I would like more than just a single year of not record in-person attendance before we get, hopefully, before anyone gets too concerned about what the virtual platform's doing. Because I know that there, I have friends who aren't um, critics who were able to see a few films and they wouldn't have been able to do that without that online platform. And not everything was available for wide audiences. And I think that that's fine and acceptable too. But I think having that accessibility only helps independent films. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think virtual is fantastic and it's opened up a whole world to people who maybe had an interest in film previously but didn't realize that they could learn more and they were able to access virtual festivals and it just opened up a world to them that wasn't there before. And we certainly don't want that going away. I think that virtual uh, in a lot of ways did a lot of good for a lot of people, uh, gave them the tools to actually maybe put a toe in the water to even become a critic or just love film, you know, just film lovers everywhere, I'm sure, benefited from the virtual experience being available from not just Sundance festivals, but other festivals as well. So is there any other uh, ideas that we have as far as uh, how to maybe make that more accessible to uh, a wider audience? I mean, clearly we don't want these festivals going away because there is an economic factor, let's be honest. I mean, there always is. 
It takes money to put these festivals on. It takes money to uh, make them accessible. Is there any way that you could think of maybe of maybe, you know, maybe finding a happy medium, encouraging other festivals to find a happy medium? Well, I think one of the the things that they have been doing is like, you know, these aren't just like five, ten dollar tickets. These are twenty dollar tickets for you mm. to have mm. to be able to see a film and you only have a finite amount of time to see it. Um, and I will say, like, you know, the buzz that comes out of it, um, the the weekend uh, after the awards are given, you certainly saw people saying, like, look, I know that I spent $40 already to see a couple <laughs> of films, but because this won a couple of awards, I think I'm going to just splurge and see it so that mm-hmm. I can understand mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. hype. Um I think that if there are ways to ensure that um, coverage of the festival is kind of also highlighted, um, especially for some of these films that have uh, don't have acquisition yet, um, or you know wait to announce acquisition so that people are a little bit more inclined to potentially spend that money to see that film. Um, and then announce acquisition after the festival. Um, so then, again, people are kind of more enticed to spend that money, not knowing whether or not that film is going to be acquired. Or, um, you know, that for sure, I think, could play a, a, a part in, you know, making people spend the money on, on those tickets. Oh, I could definitely see that, and I, I definitely agree with you. I think uh, the, a matter of timing and, and careful marketing, you know, is is key maybe to be an, an awareness that there is an audience built into, obviously, award winners always, right, of all kinds. Everyone wants to watch an award winner so of any kind, right? So, yeah, I agree with you that a careful timing and marketing could help a lot, and uh, being mindful of that for any festival would certainly help. All righty. Well, I think this was fantastic. Rosa, is there anything you want to add? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> in, in terms of, of the festival in general, I I had a good time. Uh, I had a good time. Uh, my, my final tally was uh, 52 movies. I'm still working on reviews. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But... <laughs> <laughs> my my brain is slowly but surely trying to function um but yeah it's still defrosting i guess um but <laughs> i'm with you but i ended up i think my count ended up being like 44 oh, feature films my goodness. Oh. and i and i still snuck in some short films and a docuseries because oh, why wouldn't oh i watch my. three hours <laughs> of a docuseries yeah oh my goodness <laughs> Oh, well, all right. I'm never going to try and measure up to you two. <laughs> well, as Rosa said, we I think we both were privileged with we had PTO that we could take. And um, I took full advantage of that to be able to just numb my mind with so many amazing films this year. Okay, I am not. I'm keeping my tally for the next festival to myself. Do not ask because I'm not taking two on. 
Well, it's been lovely. It's been fantastic talking to the both of you. Thank you, Morgan Roberts and Rosa Parra. This was so much fun, and I really appreciate you getting in together with me and my semi-functioning way too early on a Sunday brain and <laughs> discussing Sundance. And honestly, uh, next, let's let's do this more often. This was great. I really loved talking to the both of you. So thank you, both, thank you both for joining us, and thank you for listening for In Their Own League. Uh, Till next time. <laughs>